I'm Tom Chivers, and this is Behind the Spine. And I'm your host, Mark Haywood. This is the podcast that finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. Last week, I spoke to Tom about his new book, London Clay, which examines London through its geology, its hidden landscape, and the ghosts of its past. I was interested in capturing that sense of kind of sublimated violence that is there in the city that has kind of dissipated into my writing of London Clay. Tom's fascination with the city is palpable and it got me thinking about the nature of places and locations in stories and storytelling, how places can live as characters in their own right. Chapter 1. The Historicised Present London, Michaelmas term lately over, and the Lord Chancellor sitting in Lincoln's Inn Hall, implacable November weather, as much mud in the streets as if the waters had but newly retired from the face of the earth, and it would not be wonderful to meet a megalosaurus, forty feet long or so, waddling like an elephantine lizard up Holborn Hill, smoke lowering down from chimney pots, making a soft black drizzle, with flakes of soot in it as big as full-grown snowflakes, gone into mourning, one might imagine, for the death of the sun. Dogs, undistinguishable in mire, horses scarcely better, splashed to their very blinkers, foot passengers jostling one another's umbrellas in a general infection of ill temper, and losing their foothold at street corners, where tens of thousands of other foot passengers have been slipping and sliding since the day broke, if this day ever broke, adding new deposits to the crust upon crust of mud, sticking at those points tenaciously to the pavement, and accumulating a compound interest. Fog everywhere. Fog up the river where it flows among green eights and meadows. Fog down the river where it rolls defiled from the tears of shipping and the waterside pollutions of a great and dirty city. Fog on the Essex marshes. Fog on the Kentish heights. Fog creeping into the cabooses of collier brigs. Fog lying out on the yards and hovering in the rigging of great ships. Fog drooping on the gunwales of barges and small boats. Fog in the eyes and throats of ancient Greenwich pensioners wheezing by the firesides of their wards. Fog in the stem and bold the afternoon pipe of the wrathful skipper down in his close cabin. Fog cruelly pinching the toes and fingers of his shivering little prentice boy on deck. Chance people on the bridges peeping over the parapets into a nether sky of fog, with fog all around them, as if they were up in a balloon and hanging in the misty clouds. Gas looming through the fog in divers places in the streets, much as the sun may, from the spongy fields, be seen to loom by husbandman and ploughboy. Most of the ships lighted two hours before their time, as the gas seems to know, for it has a haggard and unwilling look. The raw afternoon is rawest, and the dense fog is densest, and the muddy streets are muddiest near that leaden-headed old obstruction, appropriate ornament for the threshold of the leaden-headed old corporation, Temple Bar. And hard by Temple Bar in Lincoln's Inn Hall, at the very heart of the fog, sits the Lord High Chancellor in his high court of chancery. Never can there come fog too thick, never can there come mud and mire too deep to assort with the groping and floundering condition which this high court of chancery, most pestilent of hoary sinners, holds this day in the sight of heaven and earth. Bleak House by Charles Dickens 
Places can never be viewed through the lens of a single story. The past and present flow through them simultaneously. The history is just as ever-present as the here and now. Sitting in the modern hub and hustle and bustle that is Trafalgar Square, you're not only surrounded by monuments and statues, physical memories of its often gory history, but also by an indescribable sensation, the weight of the past. Then there are places like the great medieval Charles Bridge, a powerful example of Gothic and Baroque architecture, which has had so many different uses over the past 600 years, it would be impossible to condense its life into one story. Every setting, every location, every space has its own tale to tell, often more rich and plentiful than the story of a single person. For this reason, places are just as important in your writing as the characters themselves. In Dickens's Bleak House, the descriptive journey he takes us on through the streets of London evokes such an intense emotional reaction, you can almost feel the presence of the city looming around you and over you. As Alison Richings from Endpoint told us in series one, how we perceive and experience a place is governed almost entirely by our emotions. The two are deeply intertwined. Within a split second of stepping into a space, we immediately decide how we feel about it, struck perhaps by a feeling of comfort, or maybe unease. In fact, we often bring our emotional outlook to a place. If we're nervous or anxious before stepping inside, that can warp what we see. The world is not a constant. It is shaped by our own individual experiences, by our own narrative. And from person to person, its image is painted inconsistently. When creating a persona for your location, remember that each character should interact with it in a unique way, just as people have varied and diverse relationships with other people. The emotions we feel about places even have the power to change us forever, to shape who we are as people. The conservationist and author George Schaller said of Tanzania, to witness that calm rhythm of life revives our worn souls and recaptures a feeling of belonging to the natural world. No one can return from the Serengeti unchanged. Pandemic aside, we fly around the world in our millions to search for new horizons and new experiences. And while many of us long to visit the same places, the Eiffel Tower, the Grand Canyon, the pyramids, we all go for different reasons. Consider the mountains around Ljubljana in Slovenia, surrounding the city like powerful great walls. They've seen the history of the capital, the formation of Yugoslavia, various conquests, and even the rise and fall of the Neanderthal. And yet this history is constantly rewritten in each individual's mind, shaped by modern culture and ever-changing ideologies and modern ideas. What the mountains have seen and what they think they've seen are two very different things. Our experiences of place are not guided by reality or facts, but by our own biases, our own hopes and imaginations. Behind the Spine is an attempt to inspire you to write and to shine a light on things that might provide a creative spark for your stories. Now we want to go one stage further. We want to offer you an outlet for your work. Over the course of the show, we've uncovered dozens of lessons that have been extracted from over 50 fascinating conversations. We've picked three, and now we'd like you to narrow this down to one. Pick one of the lessons we've selected and write a short story of no more than a thousand words and send it to us. At the end of the series, we'll pick two winners. We'll pay each writer £250 for the right to use their story as part of series four. Go to behindthespine.co.uk and click on the writing competition for more details. But now, back to the show. Chapter 2. First Impressions 
first impressions count, especially in writing. When you set that opening scene, when you're transporting your reader to a new place or time in your story, you have to set off every single one of their emotions. Words can capture more than visuals. Smell, taste and touch must all be considered. Remember the fog. Dickens does this perfectly in the example I used earlier from Bleak House, a piece of writing which has had a profound impact on Tom. Bleak House is probably my favourite Dickens novel and certainly that atmosphere in Bleak House, um, I suspect, has, has eked its way into, into London clay, just like the kind of noxious vapours from the docks used to eke into the, uh, the lungs of people who lived here. And I, I live in Rotherhithe, um, which is a Docklands, an old Docklands village, if you like. And there is certainly that, that sense. I'm looking right now, actually, at a, at a, a Victorian grain store that's now converted into luxury flats. Yeah, there was a great TV programme called Taboo with uh, Tom Hardy, which I thought really captured that that, that sinister side to London and particularly to the Thames at low tide. We often find great examples of characterful locations within Gothic fiction. In Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, the moors are described as beautiful wide expanses with hidden drowning dangers. Wuthering Heights itself and many of the key locations in the book are surrounded by the moors. The moors are a constant backdrop. Their beauty, yet uncertainty, is connected to the root of the story itself, symbolising the ever-present risk of peril. If you can, arm yourself with pen and paper and visit the place you're writing about. Get a sense of the atmosphere. Document your immediate reactions, your overriding emotions, and sit a while to see how those things change the longer you spend there. Even outside of literature, places have very real personalities. We're not creating a fantasy when we personify them. So lean into the characters that are already there. And remember, don't tell a reader how they should feel about a setting. Make them feel it. Sometimes it's about reimagining the way you think about locations, looking past the current manifestation of London, taking in the sights with the backdrop of historical knowledge has allowed Tom to experience the city in a completely different way. We're moving through almost like, like future ghosts. We're, we are always moving through a city or a space that is completely of the past and of the present simultaneously. And I think that's really how I experience some of these strange spaces, these crypts and, and sewers and so on. A lot of the places I went to are, are completely accessible to anybody, but still can have this kind of extraordinary impact on you psychologically when you go there and you know about the hidden histories. When it comes to location, our memory serves as a powerful storyteller. It can elaborate and extrapolate, creating scenes and evoking emotions which were never there. Perhaps if you went on a trip to the quiet solace of the Tuscan Hills and when you look back you're overwhelmed by a sense of relaxation and happiness at time spent there. The rolling hills, the calming atmosphere, the smell of nothing but fresh air and vineyards. You forget any of the hardships in favour of viewing your time through rose-tinted glasses. On the flip side, studies have proven that many people have false memories of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Because of the strong and incomprehensible emotions felt at the time, they may visit the site of the Twin Towers and be flooded with memories of things that never happened. Our brains have the capacity to build a world of their own, for better or worse, and places serve as the anchor for those memories. Location is a constant backdrop, always there, sharing your experiences with you. Often we don't need to have even visited a place to feel strongly about it. Through stories alone, we can begin to feel connected in ways that defy logic. You may never have seen Flanders Field, Auschwitz or the Colosseum in Rome, but the names alone are enough to strike you with the memories of the past, memories that aren't even your own. 
Human ability to connect dots from information and form emotional bonds through words alone is something you should use to your advantage in your writing. Give your places a character and atmosphere that the reader can truly feel. Chapter 3. Soundscape. I want to bring you back to the idea of how a space makes you feel, and in particular the importance of writing for all of the senses. It can be tricky to pinpoint a universal smell, one which will make everyone feel the same way, because we each make instant and unique associations when we smell something from our past. The scent of mud after a heavy rainfall, for instance, might bring back memories of idyllic days spent camping in the wilderness. But for others, the same smell might remind them of school PE lessons, having their face plunged into the dirt in yet another gruelling game of football or rugby. A smell you may associate with happiness, or even nothing at all, may have the power to conjure traumatic or frightening memories in your reader, or indeed your characters. To showcase how visceral the experience of location can be, today's soundscape gives you a short glimpse into many different but familiar locations. For each, think about how it makes you feel, what memories you're being flooded with, what smells cross your mind, and what textures you can feel. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let me know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode by sending an email to info at behindthespine.co.uk. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. In the meantime, please give us a like and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by Ollie Giyu Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.